Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Welcome to e-commerce conversations, a podcast by Practical E-commerce. What is going on, Internet? Eric Van Holtz back again with another awesome e-commerce conversations. Hope all is going well on the other side of the internet. On the other side of the internet for me is the all too familiar third time guest, Mr. Patrick with Supply. Welcome back. Beow, 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 beow. Do I get horns? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's good to be back. It is good to be back. I mean, it's it's funny because it's been like about a year or half a year, something like that, since we were last on the show. We went up to Dallas and filmed with James, who has left Beard Brand. And thanks to whoever's listening who poached James away. I appreciate that. You got to stop talking about how great your team is. I know. People stop stealing them. I know. I know. We got a great team. And it's been really interesting this year. This year has been crazy because we, you know, historically we've kind of been competitive, Patrick and I. Hmm. And we started off the year hot and in flames and doing great. And you were working through some things. And then I think we flip-flopped over this past month. Mm -hmm. What happened, man? What's going on with Facebook? Tell me, I mean, I don't know how (laughs) transparent you're going to go, but tell me everything you can. You know me, I'm always happy to be as transparent as I can. You know, the, the caveat is, I'm one data point. So I think, well, I'll just jump ahead. I think we're going to spend a lot of our time talking about kind of this summer and some changes that have made advertising more difficult. The topic is going to be no surprise to anybody that's in e-commerce. But I did post on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and it really riled up a lot of people. And, and a lot of people started talking about it, I think, a lot more than they were. I've since been off Twitter for a long time because so many people attacked me for that post. But the short of it is we had a really tough summer. And kind of end of spring into summer, we, for the first time really ever, recorded two monthly losses. We've always been, except for like the very early days when we were just getting started, you know, we've pretty much always been profitable. And we recorded some pretty decent losses this summer. And those were some painful months. And they were 100% directly attributed to the updates in I don't think we need to go into the details of what the updates were, but the iOS 14.5 updates, chances are if somebody's listening to this, they know what that means. And we, I think really earlier than even a lot of other brands started to see changes in our advertising performance pretty quickly. As early as like early May, we started to see some issues arising. So it was a, not only was it a lower revenue months for us over the summer, it was also much lower and negative profit months for us. So that's kind of the short of it, but happy to get into any specifics. Yeah. So uh, we're kind of feeling that same pain. The 14.5 essentially made it really hard for Facebook to track people and made their ads kind of neutered, you know? Mm-hmm. So what was the response to that? Like you didn't just sit back and take it. You're not like, ah, we're, I guess we're not a profitable company anymore. Let's raise money or whatever. What was the plan? Yeah. Good question. Yeah. Being unprofitable is not an option in my opinion. I mean, some people have a lot of cash reserves and they grow unprofitably and that's a different approach, but that's not our approach. So, you know, when we saw those rough months coming in, you know, it was kind of immediate problem solving mode and it was clear to me, I'm not here to bash on agencies or anything. 
But it was clear to me the agency we were with at the time didn't really have a solid plan. In fact, I frankly kind of blamed them for our losses. They spent like drunken sailors on really poor advertising. And in retrospect, they wasted a ton of money those months. And so I, I cut off that relationship with that agency. I don't have anything poor to say about them. It just, it didn't work out. And I think that experience with them, coupled with some experience I've had with other agencies in the past, not necessarily negative, but just learnings really solidified my resolve to start building in-house. So I got rid of those agencies. I hired an internal head of marketing. I reassigned one of my guys to be my new head of creative. I hired a new full-time developer. I hired a full-time copywriter. And I'm currently on the look for a part-time senior media buyer as well. And then I upped our videographer budget as well. And so I took basically all this huge chunk of money I was given agencies. And I started really for the first time in the history of our company to really take ownership of our marketing channels. Now, I'm not saying that that was like the silver bullet, but that was kind of my initial response to what was going on. And happy to go into some other things we've done, but like that's really... Are they all remote or did you hire locally? A little of both. Most of them are in the DFW area. Most of my full-time team is in the DFW area, Dallas-Fort Worth. My developers in Africa and I have other teammates around the world, but those guys were local. I feel like the market is really challenging now to be able to find employees. And I think you kind of got lucky because you're a Twitter famous person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know that I'd say lucky. I think I'd say I took a very different approach than I think most people are taking. The short of it is I've hired so many expensive, fancy people in the history of my company, whether they're full-time people, like I had a full-time head of marketing last year that I hired, very expensive and fancy, expensive agencies. And none of them really worked out the way I wanted them to, that I thought, you know, I've tried this so many ways, you know, let's try it a different way. And so this time around, I made the decision to hire really green people that didn't have a lot of experience, but I basically over-leveraged on hunger and kind of chip on the shoulder. I wanted people that wanted to prove themselves and had a hunger to learn. And like I felt had the ability to become something great. And so those are the kind of people I hired. I got a quick question for you. So one thing I'm always curious with is how to tell the difference between someone who's really hungry and driven and someone who's like annoying and overbearing and, you know, like just kind of like almost doesn't get a hint. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say I'm definitely not an expert in hiring And it's such a subjective thing, but I feel like you can hear it in their voice and the way they answer questions. And so it's like kind of raw honesty coupled with like just a sense of hunger and like wanting to prove myself. So like one of the hires in particular, he honestly didn't have a really great resume, like couldn't keep a job for more than three months, you know? And so I ask him, you know, really directly, like based on your resume, I don't, I don't think you're hireable. So tell me why, you know, I should hire you. And his his answer, you know, was a combination of honesty and kind of hunger and, you know, admitting why his previous positions had been failures, but talking about what he learned from them and like how he wanted to prove himself in the midst of those failures. So, I mean, I, I can't really say that there's like this one thing I do, but the hiring process I use is from a book called Who? Have you heard of this book? No, 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 no. What I is pretty it? much follow it like, you know, word for word. It's always worked for me well. 
and you just, you ask really direct questions and, and you get really surprisingly good answers. And so that's kind of what I over leveraged for was hungry people that, you know, were frankly a little more affordable than people I've hired in the past. And that I thought kind of had, you know, had, had a chip on their shoulder. So you're hiring these green people. They don't have the expertise. Are you the coach, the trainer? Are you putting them in any kind of programs to get them up to snuff? Great question. It's a little bit of both. So I'm doing a little bit of training and mentoring for one of my hires in particular, I've set him up with some forums to be a part of. I'm hiring somebody to be like a mentor for him. So a more seasoned person. And a lot of it's just like, I'm really honest with my hires that when you come work for me, like there's not a lot of structure and there's not a lot of like, Hey, here's your, here's your job, you know, go do this. It's like, Hey, this is what we need. Go figure it out. Yeah. And for the most part, it's worked well. I think for media buying lately, it's been difficult because of all the challenges. Nobody knows what they're doing. And so how can I expect a green media buyer to even know what they're doing? I mean, if anything, that makes the most sense. Yeah, that's the other thing. Nobody knows what they're doing right now. Yeah, nobody knows what they're doing. So we might as well just make it up and start over from scratch. And so that was one of my things about agencies was like, they've got this way of doing things that they've been doing for so long that they don't really, they're not going to be fast. Again, I'm not here to bash agencies, but like what I was seeing is they weren't really fast to respond to the challenges that were coming up. So is it admission that you're using? Is that the online community? That's one that's done by Common Thread Collective. Never been a part of it. I'm sure it's phenomenal and a great one to join. I've got my media buyer in Andrew Foxwell has a small community. And from what my guy has told me, it's been a fantastic resource for him. Okay. I'll have to check that out and have my team go into that as well. I think that's something that is really important is like, how do you train up your team? Yeah. I almost feel like, you know, part of me wants my team to interact the same way that you describe where I'm not telling you what to do. You got to go seek yeah. it out and find it. But I still think to a certain degree, there needs to be a little bit of reminder from time to time. Like, yeah, hey, yeah. you've got to educate yourself. You've got to find what's new. You got to go to conferences. You got to connect. Yeah. You got to reach out. Is that just kind of like, as you think about it, or are you able to integrate that kind of stuff into your management style at all? Yeah. I wish I had, you know, some really great answer to tell you, but other than, you know, I'm sitting down with my employees often. Half of my time is sitting down with my employees, talking through things. And that's a big change from a year ago. Like a year ago, I was just all I was doing most of my own work. So I, I wish I, I had a great answer of like, I've got this structured you know, process I put people through. But what I'd rather do is give people better resources than me that they can use. So I over-index on like getting them in groups, getting them with mentors, paying for trainings, like whatever you want. You want a training? Let me know. I'll buy it for you. Instead of like me telling you what I think. Because I mean, I know a lot, but I'm not an expert in everything. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is you just end up Googling. You're like, yeah. oh, I don't know. I'll just Google it real quick and tell you. And it's like, no, yeah. you should be doing the Googling, not me. And I have opinions, but like, I don't want to be the decider of how you do your job. Like the best way, like, I mean, let's talk about media buying in general. Like the best way to become a good media buyer is to just do it, you know, and come up with your own opinions and like make mistakes. And, and I think that applies to any job. And so even if I do have a strong opinion about something, I'm careful to not overlay that opinion on what my employees are doing. Because I think it's really important for my employees to develop their own critical thinking around the subject that they're, you know, in charge of. Do you have a North Star KPI for your paid ads? Or is that something that you let your team member come up with? No, I do. The North Star for us is revenue targets and MER targets or percent of revenue spent on advertising. And so those are like the North Star. And then from there, it gets very convoluted because our, you know, return on ad spend in Facebook is, you know, doesn't make any sense. 
we used to hit, you know, anywhere from two to three X return on ad spend easily. And, you know, now we'll be lucky if we hit a one. And so like the challenge with media buying right now is we don't really know what's working. So we just came off of actually one of our best months of the year versus a previous, you know, three months, which were some of our worst of the year. And the difference, like, I can't look at anybody and say, here's what we did different. That's right. It feels like we're like moving around in like this dark room and kind of starting to like shed light on things. But the biggest challenge right now for me and for my media buyer is like, what are our North Stars? You know, is it return on ad spend in dashboard? Is it, you know, we're using this other thing called Wicked Reports, which is like a first party pixel. And it's been helping shed some light on how media buying is going, but it's not a perfect representation of how it's going. So it's really a challenge to like, what is success other than MER? And I haven't come up with a great answer yet. I'll tell you, man, after talking with you, I kind of changed my perspective on what we should be looking at. We changed our North Star because we're really conservative, bootstrapped, and, and our ads pretty much have to be profitable. We do new customer MER, mm -hmm. so yeah. but we do it at as, as a blended rate. So whatever we're spending across the board on our ads, let's say we spend a thousand bucks for the day. And then, you know, what did our new customers drive in sales? And yeah. then, you know, look at that as a percentage. And hopefully, I think our target percentage is like 25%, which would be like a 4X return on ad spend. But we haven't been able to get down that low yet. So we'll keep on working on it. But yeah, I mean, that's really the number that's most important to me. I mean, MER is one, but like new customers, when it, when it comes to paid advertising, right? This is what I try. And I think you and I have this conversation, like you got to isolate the variables. So when you're talking about paid advertising, you want to relate the paid advertising, which you're directing towards new customers to the new customer revenue. So like, that's the best way your new customer revenue divided by your, you know, your prospecting advertising. So that's a great metric. The challenge is driving below that metric. Like which ads are working, which targeting is working, which platform. So like we're on, you know, Facebook, we actually spend quite a bit on TikTok now, you know, we're on Google. So like, you don't know which levers to pull anymore. And it's like moving around in the dark, really. Yeah. I mean, I guess like click through rates or using like yeah. first party UTM, stuff like that. Yeah. I don't want to hit too hard on paid stuff. Cause I know you guys just sure. did a launch as well on Kickstarter. We did. Yeah. Yeah. We may about have to get to the six figs. Are we? How close are we? A thousand bucks away. A thousand bucks. Can you just go pledge a thousand bucks right now? That would be great. No, you're only 500 bucks away. All right. I just refreshed it. So I don't know if you sent another email out or. No, it's just they're coming in. Yeah. Well, this podcast will go live before your Kickstarter is done. So maybe all of the people who shave. Yeah. We'll be able to check out your new razors. Talk about Go buy a razor. Yeah, talk about that strategy to do a Kickstarter. You've done Kickstarters before, or is this your first one? This is our fourth Kickstarter. Oh, you got it down. Yeah. So we've raised, I was counting the other day, I think we're close to over half a million dollars, including this campaign that we've done through crowdfunding over the past like six years. So our first, you know, we launched on Kickstarter in August 2015. Like our Hello, We Exist was a Kickstarter campaign. And we love Kickstarter. And the reason I've had a few people ask me this question, the reason we went back to Kickstarter, like we're six years in, you know, why do a Kickstarter? You know, you've been on Shark Tank and, you know, you're an established brand. I, I heard a lot of this stuff. And there's a few reasons. I mean, number one is this is an extremely ambitious project. There's already hundreds of thousands of dollars in R&D that I've put into this and tooling costs. And there's another few hundreds of thousands of dollars I'll need to place purchase orders to actually buy these products. So, you know, we're talking all in R&D plus POs. We're talking half a million dollars at least. 
And as a bootstrap brand, like I just don't have a half a million dollars sitting around ready to go buy a bunch of new products. So this is a very ambitious launch. We've got eight all new products. Some of these we've been working on for over two years. So very ambitious launch. So basically, why do we go to Kickstarter? Number one, because we need to. Number two, because Kickstarter is just a lot of fun as a brand, as a creator, as a customer who uses Kickstarter. I think it's a ton of fun. It's like, it's this event. Number one, there's some hype factor to it. You know, people you can see, or I'm looking at the Kickstarter page right now, you can see, you know, as a backer, oh, 950 people have backed this. Like, it must be something cool. And then you can watch the video, which we spent a lot of time on. And I think it's a lot of fun. I think it really gets you hyped up, you know, like, oh, I really want this product. The campaign page is super in-depth and beautiful. Jennifer, my wife, did that. And so there's just a lot of fun and hype and excitement surrounding this big event, which is your Kickstarter, as opposed to, you know, launching it on your website. And like, it's just like not as fun. I mean, I don't know how else to say it other than if I put something on my website, but the hype and excitement isn't there like it is with a Kickstarter campaign. And then there's other benefits, like I'm acquiring new customers through Kickstarter. If you can get your ads to work, it's a great way to advertise. Kickstarter campaigns are typically much higher return on ad spend than you'll ever see on your website. So we're driving ad traffic to this page. From Facebook or from? From Facebook. Okay. Yeah, correct. And so it's a prospecting campaign as well. Whereas if we had launched on our website, it's just for existing customers who are already on our list or already following us or already know about us. But with a Kickstarter campaign, it's really a prospecting campaign as well as for existing customers. So when you have a unique product, it's a fantastic platform to launch a new product on. We had one campaign a couple of years ago, we launched like a top kit that was a complete dud. And it's just, I don't think it's because the product was compelling enough. And so, you know, we won't go, you know, this, we're launching like a, you know, a beard bomb next year. You know, we won't go to Kickstarter to launch a beard bomb. It's like, it won't raise any money, but for something as compelling as this project is, I think it's a fantastic place to go. What does success look like to you? Cause you say you got to raise a half million dollars to get all these POs placed. Yeah. You know, and you set your goal at $10,000, mm -hmm. which clearly you need a bit more than that. Walk me through, you know, what success looks like or doesn't look like. Is this something that you would can if you didn't get close to that half million? No, I mean, and it's different for different people. For us, like we're releasing these products, whether, well, I mean, if this had been a complete flop, it would have made us strongly reconsider, but like we're releasing these products. So that's why the goal, it's really an arbitrary goal, $10,000. That's just the lowest five figure number that there is. And so yeah. I just picked it. But yeah, we've got a lot more money than $10,000 invested into this product. So we've already kicked off production. I've got dozens of samples here. So like we're charging forward the campaign, you know, the amount we raise is really not important to whether we move forward with the products or not. Yeah. Okay. The other beauty of like doing a Kickstarter is they're going to wait for it then, right? So they've got to wait yes. another two or three months before they get their product. Yep. And that's disappointing to some people. Like we hyped this launch for like two weeks uh, <laughs> to where I think maybe even people got a little annoyed. And then we teased it and we sent out, you know, photo teaser photos. And some people were disappointed when we said, oh, hey, it's a Kickstarter. And, you know, they were hoping they could order it now. Right. But for the most part, I mean, my most loyal fans and people who are loyal to Kickstarter, I mean, they get it. Like we're delivering in February, which is actually not a long time for a Kickstarter campaign. And I'm confident we'll either hit or beat that delivery estimate. 
Yeah, even with the supply chain headaches that are going on throughout the world. Yeah, we're going to have to air freight, which sucks, but, you know, because it's so expensive, but got to do what you got to do. I mean, is air freight that much more expensive than shipping nowadays? It seems like it's the same price. Yeah, I mean, it's gone up too, in addition to ocean freight. I don't know what the numbers, I just know we're spending a lot more on shipping than we used to. So where do you look going forward? This is a big year for you. You're launching two new razors, you know, bringing ads in house. Like what's the future look like for you guys into 2022? Is it just going to be continue to push the new products and get that traction? Yeah, kind of like you and I were talking before we hit record. I think the future for us needs to be a couple things. Well, let me just talk about the context of our product launch. So our current razor that you can buy on our website is $75. It's not a cheap razor by any any measure. We think it's a steel because it lasts forever. You get a lifetime warranty with it. And it's made out of steel, right? Exactly. Blade replacements are super cheap. So like it's actually you're saving money in the long term, but it's it's a lot of money for somebody to pay for a razor. And the reason it's so high is because it's a really high quality product and it costs me a lot. So I've always wanted to be able to offer a lower priced version to make the product more accessible to more people. And then I also wanted to offer a product that's easier to use and more user-friendly. Like the dirty secret of safety razors is they're not always safe and they're not easy to use. And so with one of our products that we've introduced, we're calling it the SE for the sensitive edition. It's super, super easy to use. It's a 30% lower price point than we're currently offering. And so I view that product as my Amazon, I know it's a dirty word here on this podcast, but my Amazon and my target product, like my kind of mass market product. Still not a cheap razor, you know, 49 bucks is not cheap, but it's more in the range of safety razors, high-end safety razors. So I've got that product. And then I've still got for my, you know, most seasoned pro customers, just like you have, you know, like you're just beard fanatics. I've got shaving fanatics. We introduced a new higher end, really, really cool. And it's a really complex, highly engineered razor. And that'll be a higher price product. So we've kind of bifurcated our pricing strategy. Are you killing the old razor, the 2.0? Once it's out of stock, yeah, oh, we're wow. going to kill it. It doesn't offer anything that the other two right. don't, don't offer the other two new ones. So you ask what's in the future for us. 2022 is going to be all about this lower price version, getting it on Amazon. I'm going to try to get it and target if I can. I mean, I, I got a lot of work to get there, but getting that product in the hands of more and more people. And so that's really my strategy. The mission for me from day one has been to kind of evangelize single blade shaving for the whole world. We call it the single blade revolution. And so like this product is really my product to get our blades in, in more people's hands. And like pricing is such a weird thing, man. I feel like we could have a whole conversation about pricing because it's funny. You listen to all these podcasts that are like, raise your prices. And everybody has always told me, raise your prices. And I'm like, uh, I think 75 is too high. So let's bring it down actually. Yeah. There's always going to be a market for everything. And I do think it's that supply and demand curve and cost of acquisition yep. and kind of being aware of what's available in the marketplace and where your products stand, where you know what your customers are comparing you against, I guess. It's just the the mass market brands. And then there's a couple of smaller independent brands. And then like, yeah. just, what is that value proposition? And shop like your customers would be shopping. Yeah. But I don't know. I think it's a hard thing to do. Are you doing any kind of like smart testing, Navy testing to get the right price? Or is it just kind of hunch for you? Over the past kind of three to four months, we did some price A-B testing on a very specific landing page that you can't find anywhere on our website that we were driving paid traffic to. And we tested all kinds of price points. I went as low as $39, which I was 
you know, losing quite a bit of money on after you included ad costs and freight costs. I just, I don't care if I lost money. I just wanted to try to find the sweet spot. Everything was supply branded though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's our product. It was just this like specific ad funnel that we were running. We tested 39, 49, 59. And when you looked at the data and it's, it's always muddy, it's never really completely clear, but we got enough traffic and enough purchase volume through there that when we looked at kind of max profitability, it's hard because you want to balance like volume versus profitability. And there's all these dials that you want to turn, but we just kind of felt like when we looked at the data, 49 was, was the right number. And also it just felt right too. 39 just felt way too low um, for us, for our brand. And 59 felt like a little too high. So 49 was right in the middle. And that was with your existing razor then that you're using just to test the price point. Yeah. Just to test the price point. So is that razor at 49 now or? Yeah. The new one that we're offering on Kickstarter is 49, 49, but the existing one's still 75 bucks. Still 75. Yeah. That's correct. Okay. So what about the pro version? That's not 49, right? No, right now it's 69 on Kickstarter. It'll probably go up to either 79 or it it might go up to 89 after the campaign. That's also not a cheap product, but compared to other products that are similar to it in the market with the features that it has, kind of the 70 plus range is actually not all that unheard of. Yeah, that's cool. Well, you've gotten off of Twitter for the time being. For a little bit. For a little bit. You'll be back. Oh, I'll be back. I'm just kind of burnt out. I don't know, man. You're doing all the dumb things I'm doing, going down the wrong rabbit holes. (laughs) No, I mean, I I just, I can waste so much time on there. Like it's just good to get off of it. And I deleted it from my phone and and that really takes away 80% of the time wasted on my phone. Yeah. So your bathroom breaks are a lot shorter than now. Yeah, exactly. I don't spend three hours, you know, sitting (laughs) on the pot. (laughs) Well, you can still find them on Twitter. Sounds like canoe, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll be back. I'd love that handle. Thanks, man. And if you're looking for opportunities every once in a while, hold post, come work for me. So I think that's where you found a lot of your candidates, right? Yeah, I found pretty much everybody. I, not everybody, but most people I recently hired I found through Twitter. And if you're a senior media buyer looking for a part-time position, give me a call. Or me a call. No, not everybody. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'll be back on Twitter. Sweet. And go over to Kickstarter. Yeah. Check it out. I was refreshing to see if we were going to get over that 100,000 by the end of the show. Have we? No, it's still ninety nine four ninety. So, we got stuck. Uh, you should have just placed a five hundred and ten dollar yeah. order, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Check us out on Kickstarter. Even if you're not interested in buying the product, I'm just proud of the campaign. I think, dude, the video is is unbelievable, man. Thanks, the, man. You got like three D graphics in there. You got these like fake hairs yep. that are like flopping over. And we did that all in house, man. And this no is shit, just, really. Oh yeah. So the, the 3D animations, we had a freelancer do through okay. Upwork that I've been working with for a long time. But like in terms of like, so I wrote, I scripted the campaign, you know, I, for the most part, directed it, but my team just knocked it out of the park. And this goes back to, and I know we're trying to wrap up, but like, maybe this is a good way to tie a bow on this entire conversation. This goes back to the conversation about why I brought stuff in house. And it's like, and, and this is what I just encourage every entrepreneur to think hard about it. And you've done this to me in a slightly different way. But like, if I think about who are the best and most talented people to market my company and grow my company, it always comes back to me and my team. Like the best ads, and this isn't an ego thing. This is just reality. The best ads we've ever run, this Kickstarter campaign, you know, the best creative, the best copy has always been developed internally. Rarely have I worked with an agency who has outperformed us in terms of both subjectively and objectively in terms of the core marketing principles of like how to talk about our products and how to 
portray them to the customer. And so that entire Kickstarter campaign was done internal. We did that all. I'm not bragging. I'm just, I, th- I think what I'm trying to do is encourage people to think about what they can do internally and what they don't need to pay an agency 10 grand a month to do. Anybody who put that campaign together, nobody had this fancy pedigree. It's all just people who love what they're doing and willing to learn or learn, learning new things. Anyways, that's my encouragement to people like, who is the best person to market your product? It better be you. Cause if it isn't, maybe you should be doing something else. And when I say you, I mean you and your team as opposed to an agency. Just just my two cents. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree. You got to think about the value you bring to society and the value you bring to your customers. And those need to be done in-house and the things that you can't really bring value in. Think about finding people who are passionate about that. 3PLs, for example, for us. Yeah, we outsource our fulfillment, that's for sure. Yeah. Not interested in that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, this has been another e-commerce conversations. Thanks, Patrick, for being on the show. Thanks for all your insights, your your tips. It's been another good one. Oh, you know, before I leave, give us a review on like uh, Apple and Shopify and stuff like that. I think we need some more love. So send a little five star and say nice things. I'll do it right now. All right, sweet. Thanks. Cheers. Keep on growing.